Thanks, Scott. I'll just put these on. Well, good morning. I am Colin Judge, and my wife is Pamela, and we've been attending St Matt's since about July last year. Let me give some context uh, for a couple of things I've learnt and been encouraged, encouraged through this year. In my youth, I was an atheist. In fact, a very vocal, arrogant and aggressive one. Incredibly, though, on the 23rd of January 1966, as a 17-year-old, I gave my life to Jesus. So I became a Christian just over 54 years ago. So you can do the maths if you want to. My conversion took place at Nawi Baptist Church. That's Nawi Baptist Church, not Narawina Baptist Church. So for those of you who think that Sydney's south and west starts just over the Spit Bridge, can I tell you it doesn't? Nawi is uh, situated southwest Sydney uh, between Hurstville and Bankstown, if you know your geography at all. My late wife Vicky and I married there, had four wonderful kids while we were there, and as an aside, I actually got a text from one of them this morning. Uh, two of my families go to Caringbar Baptist Church. And the sermon this morning at Karimbar Baps is the Ten Plagues. That was planned some time ago. And Vicky and I were deeply involved in the lay ministry over all those years. Vicky died in 2004. God has brought two incredible women into my life, Vicky. And in 2011, I met Pamela, and we married early in 2012. We continued to attend Nawi Baptist until the middle of last year, and we would drive from North Balgala there every Sunday. So about an hour's travel to get to church, and on the way home, about an hour and a half. So here's the first lesson. God has taught me recently, as I grieved so much in leaving Nawi Baptist Church and finding a new church family to join. And I've got to tell you, I did grieve. And we did that horrible thing, we went church shopping. I can't think of anything worse. But God led us here, and I felt it the first time I walked through the doors. For me, St Matthew's is a similar size with similar ministries to Nawi Baptist. The Bible is taught well here from the pulpit. The music is great. I love 10 o'clock for that reason. And we have joined and have been wonderfully nestled into a growth group. Now, this is sort of where you come in. St Matt's in this 10 o'clock service has been our experience that you're incredibly welcoming and warm. So can I continue to encourage you to be welcoming to newbies? 
So that's somebody seeking to know more about the Christian faith or those like Pamela and I who perhaps are changing churches and have been along the Christian walk for many years. My grief was turned to joy. Fortunately, God was in control. It was perhaps a little different for Pamela. She and her her late husband, Brian, were here in 1965 when Brian was assistant minister here. And again in 1987 through to 93 when Brian was the senior minister. But I've got to tell you, Pamela is as equally delighted as I am to be here. The second thing I've learnt, having walked with Jesus for over 54 years, is that sometimes I think I relax in that walk. I get lazy. I get so used to it. So I was really brought up short a few weeks ago from the sermons from this pulpit and in our growth group as we looked at the Passion series. Specifically for me, Jesus' prayer in John 17. And if you were listening at all during the series, you know the mechanics of of, of that longest prayer of Jesus. It's in three parts. Jesus' prayer focusing on his relationship with his heavenly father. Jesus' prayer for the 11 disciples. And Jesus' prayer for Christians. That's us. But the impacting thing about it for me is that it was, the whole prayer was a selfless prayer. Jesus' focus is his heavenly father and others. I think I'm a bit selfish when I pray. You know the formula, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I speed through the first three to get to supplication, the things I want. But I now try to make my supplication earnest and humble and be a little more fulsome in praise and thanksgiving and confession. I'm trying to refocus and reshape my praying. And I have to tell you, it's not easy. Yet I yearn to be more like Jesus. Can I leave you with these amazing words from the Bible, from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11? And this is to all of us. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. 
your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, your role is to encourage me to be more like Jesus. My role is to encourage you to be more like Jesus. And I'm looking forward to us doing that together. Thanks very much. And I think we're going to sing now. So I'm going to get the music team to come out and Mia. Uh, and I think we're uh, going to stand amazed. Thank you. Hi, I'm, I'm Barry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd quieten our minds and still our hearts as we come to you, our loving creator and redeemer. We come to you seeking renewal, wisdom and strength for the sake of your honour. In your mercy, we pray that you'll hear our prayers. Amen. For our nation and our world, we ask that you restrain the effects of COVID-19. Our nation, our trading partners and millions of people are suffering stress. Stress unimaginable just months ago. Stress not seen for ages. Please, Father, we ask that you would limit the number of those who become ill and restore to health those who are suffering. Give wisdom to government and health authorities. We pray for a vaccine. We pray that we will not lose sight that you are our help and our refuge. We thank you, Father, for our leaders in government, business, the church and elsewhere. We pray that you'll give them unity, cooperation, wisdom, endurance and the protection they need to meet the continuing devastations of COVID-19, drought, bushfire and now an unfolding financial crisis. Father, help us, your church, to raise a standard, a standard of hope, a standard of hope in you. Lord, cause righteousness to grow in the name of Jesus, our only hope and our great hope. We thank you, Lord, for the drenching rain that we have had, but we ask for more rain in the West to quench the remaining 90% of our drought-affected state. For our community, we praise you for the soup kitchen teams, for their energy, for their encouragement and the work they do in creating a safe environment for those who are in need. We pray, Father, that you would continually help them to supply hearty meals, warm conversation and a gospel witness. I think uh, of the volunteers also helping to teach English as a second language. It's in Matthews. We ask that those students 
not only learn to be confident and competent in English, but to grow in the knowledge and grace offered through the death of Jesus. We pray for Hamish Thorpe, and we ask that you'll protect him from self-harm and make him completely well. We ask that you grant his family comfort and peace as they care for him. We continue to pray for Mike Sherman as he receives treatment for cancer. In your mercy, make him well while he waits. Help him to be patient and lead him to a deeper grasp of your sovereign goodness. Let's pause and ask the Lord for others known to us who have suffered loss or sick or grieving or struggling financially, emotionally, relationally, physically or spiritually. Father, we pray for those that we've mentioned before you. We ask that you'll sustain their faith, give them peace, grant them all, grant us all grace to serve those that we've prayed for. Lastly, we pray for our mission partners uh, at Anglican Church at Marsden Park. We thank you, Lord, for Mark and Rachel's Collins's three years of missionary and mission work at Marsden Park. We praise you for the people there who serve you wholeheartedly in different ways, who enable the ministry to grow through their service and generosity. We thank you, Lord, for the new midweek groups meeting at the community centres in two locations, including the Playtime Pray Group for preschoolers. We also pray for their ESL classes, starting in Term 2. Almighty God, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has promised that you will hear us when we ask in faith. Receive the prayers we offer. Hear us, Father, through Jesus Christ, our one hope, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. It's uh, page 1081, and it's John chapter 14. That's page 1081, and it's John chapter 14. Verses 1 to 4. So John 14, starting at verse 1, where Jesus says to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. For you know the way to the place where I am going. This is on. Sorry, just put my timer to make sure I talk for long enough. <laughs> that will not be a problem. Thanks for having me. I always love having an opportunity to share with you. I love 10am, love my church. So as I was prepping this week, it was quite a strange week, wasn't it? As things started ramping up, so I'm preparing this message going, oh, I mean, it's basically one of the weirdest weeks ever to prep a little talk because there is such uncertainty. But it did remind me of something that happened to me 19 years ago, same feeling, I was a fashion designer in South Africa. I'd just done a 
show at South African Fashion Week. And I was lined up to appear on this talk show to talk about this collection that I just, you know, put out. And, um, you know, this was organized, obviously, well in advance. And the shoot for the talk show was on the 12th of September. And that happened to be the day after September 11. That great tragedy. And that was the last time I had the same feeling. Where I sat down on a stage and this guy was asking me questions about my collection. And I just kept thinking, I can so not be talking about fashion at the moment. Everything is so up in the air. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen next. You remember those, those following days where we just didn't know what was going to be happening next? And that's sort of how I felt this week. Except the thing that I'm talking about today is the great hope we have in Christ. What a different message. What a different subject matter. So I'm so thrilled to stand here and be sharing about the hope we found in this one that is and was and will always be, and at this very moment is 150% in control of the situation. So I'm going to reflect a bit on the, on the series that we've done on John. When it came up in staff meeting that we are going to be spending our fourth year for term one in John, I felt a little bit like my youngest Margot when she realized that I'd enrolled her for scripture at school. So I went on on some random Friday morning to drop off something she had left at home. She was in kindy, so it was about two years ago now. And um, the first period on a Friday morning at Forestville Public School is scripture. So I knew Margot would be there, so I ran to the scripture class, came into the class, Margot's not there. There's the teacher in the corner, you know, sitting in the corner while the scripture teacher is doing her thing. So I kind of go over to the teacher and I go, where's Margot? She's like, oh, she's not here. I thought it was strange that she doesn't come to scripture, seeing as you're the churchy type. I'm like, so where is she? She says, oh, she's in non-scripture in the hall. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go into the hall, and as Margot looked up and saw me, you could just see that face, you know, like they'd busted. And I go, Margot, why are you in non-scripture? And she just almost lost it. She went, I can't learn more about God. I learn more about God at home, at church. I cannot learn more about God at school. I just need a break when I'm at school. So that was hilarious, but that was exactly how I felt. I can't learn more about John. But what a short-term memory, because it has just been fantastic. So um, it, I've just found it incredible, this last kind of bit, walking slowly through the last hours of Jesus' life as we kicked off in John 17, where this greatest love story ever told is reaching its crescendo. So... I have broken this up to kind of fully communicate how much I learned from this into three parts. I've called, he's the one, first bit. Second bit, he sees your heart. And the third bit I've called, always be yourself unless you can be John. Then always be John. And I explain myself. So when we kicked this off, I couldn't help myself. I kept thinking back to that covenant that God made with Abram in Genesis 15. Um, so we know from historical texts at around the time that Abram was around, so that's 1500 BC, a covenant that required animals to be slaughtered worked like this, right? You'll have a lesser party, and you'll have a more powerful party. And the lesser party would want the protection or help from the stronger party in times of need. And in return, the stronger party required this lesser party to pledge their allegiance to them, to be faithful to them, whatever, whatever may come. So the way that they do it is they'd bring the animals, they'd slaughter this, lay it out on the ground, and then this lesser party would have the role of having to walk through these bits of severed animal, basically saying with every step, 
if I don't hold up my part of the bargain, if I don't remain faithful to you, then I know and I realize and I swear that this is what will happen to me. I will be ripped apart like these animals. So God uses this image because he knows Abram will get it. So Abram gets the animals. They slaughter them. They lay them out on the ground. And God says to him, Abram, I am going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you this land that we stand on for all your life to come and for your descendants. And I will be your God and I will remain faithful to you if you remain faithful to me. That is all I require of you, for you and your descendants to remain faithful to me. So at this point, we know what's going to happen, right? Abram is the lesser party, so he's got to walk through these animals. But that is not how our God works. He puts him into a deep sleep. And God himself passes through these parts of ripped apart, slaughtered animal, saying, if you don't hold up your part of the bargain, and if you don't keep your promise, Abram, which I know you won't, I will pay the price. I will be ripped apart like these animals. So now we're fast-forwarding 1,500 years, and we stand in John 17 with Jesus, God with skin on, and his beloved disciples, on the eve of this great slaughtering of the Son of God himself, as was foretold back in Genesis 15 and many other times through the Old Testament. We're standing on the eve of this great slaughtering where God is going to pay for the sins of our forefathers, for our sins, for the pay for the sins of those still to come. And that's staggering. And that just kept coming to mind for me. This then brings me to my second point and something else I've really been reflecting on through this series, and it's the fact that he sees our hearts. He sees your heart. You cannot read through the book of John and miss how much Jesus cares about the details. This great I am, the one that was before the world, the one that was there at creation, the one that holds seven stars in one hand, the one that was crucified, died, and rose again to bring fulfillment to the biggest game changer in humanity, that one. He still makes time to specifically love on and care for individual personalities. This just blows my mind. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, says in John 1.14. Or the message version that says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And to illustrate this point, I've been looking closer at the relationship between Jesus and Peter. I've become quite a fan of Peter through the series, actually. Not because I necessarily want to be like him, but because I find him so relatable. And I think we can all learn a bit from him. He's flawed, very flawed, but very passionate. In John 13, 8, He says when Jesus is washing the feet of all the disciples, you know, in the upper room, not just my feet, Lord, but also my hands and my head, you know, just everything. And then verse 37, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And then like a mere five chapters later, we see him denying Jesus. But as Scott told us a few weeks ago, Peter finds himself in this position where he denies Jesus because of this passion. He followed Jesus into the temple forecourts. He was there in this place and situation because of his fierce love for Jesus. That took guts, actually. None of the others were there. And then, of course, he really slips up and denies his Lord and Savior three times. But luckily for Peter, Jesus sees his passionate and awe-in heart, and he works with it. We read in Mark 16, 7, as Jesus appears to the woman at the tomb, you know, once the stone's been rolled away. He says to them, go tell the disciples. And then he says, and go tell Peter. He mentions Peter. 
that Jesus will go ahead of them to Galilee and they will see him there. He wants Peter to know that he wants to see him. He wants Peter to know that he is forgiven. And then further on in John 21, you know the story. Jesus appears at the Sea of Galilee on the shores. He tells the disciples to throw the nets on the other side. They throw the nets on the other side to catch heaps of fish. Then they realize it's Jesus. What does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore to meet Jesus. The others follow in the boat, you know, not Peter. He swims to the shore. Then they get there, and Jesus has made a little fire, and he's roasting bread on the fire, and he says to them, bring some of that fish. Again, Peter jumps in, he gets the net, drags that whole net ashore so they can have fish to eat. I just love that image even of Jesus sitting around sharing that rustic meal with them. But then, the heading of the next chapter, chapter 22 is the one that just chokes me up because it says Jesus reinstates Peter. And you know what, that is the turning point. When Peter stops putting his faith in himself, starts putting his faith in Christ, that's when his ministry really takes off. And we know that his ministry did take off, and he saved so many, so many for the kingdom of God, and did this until the end of his life. This is the God we serve. He does not write us off because we make mistakes. He continues to pursue us because he loves us. This brings me to my third point, which I called always be yourself, unless you can be like John, then always be like John. So my middle child is called Hudson. Now, we named him in great faith, didn't we, Michael, after the great missionary Hudson Taylor. You know Hudson, you know why I'm doing this. I hope he's going to be like Hudson Taylor. Um, Now, he was dropped off earlier this week, actually, after a play date by one one of his friend's dads. And the friend's dad was like, how are you going? What are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm actually prepping this talk for church. And the guy went, oh, don't bother going to church anymore. I just feel so guilty about everything I'm not doing right every time I'm there. And I got so excited to hear that. I said to him, what a great place to be at. That is exactly the point that you want to get to, all of us want to get to, where you realize you can never do enough or be enough to deserve what God has done for you. Never. I said to him, man, none of us can. You're so lucky that you have come to feel like this. He's done it. He has done it all so that none of us can boast. So I launched into everything. You know, I'd just written this talk. So I was like launching into it. And I told him all about Peter and everything I learned about Peter. And I told him that our God does not want perfection. He wants your heart. And, um, yeah, I think he definitely got a bit more than he bargained for, for a normal play date drop-off. But he did say at the end that he, that made him feel like giving church another go. So that's good. And he asked whether he could come to our church. And I said, yes, of course. And I love it when he walked away, he's like out the car, he said, cheers, thanks for telling me about bipolar Peter. I was like, oh, bye, up the road. So now back to my point about John. So now we find ourselves in this last book of John, where our powerful and perfect Lord Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's getting mocked and spat on, and he takes it because he is in total control of the situation. He has full power to destroy them, but he allows them to kick and spit and crucify him because this is part of the story. And it's not the end of the story. And he has to die and pay for the sins of the world and rise again so that the story can go on. And not just that, that through this we might be able to be part of this continuing story with him. In John 14, like we read, it says, do not let, Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So in the meantime, while we're waiting and aware that there is this home with all these many rooms, let's focus on being more like John the Baptist. Always saying, I'm just a voice. Don't remember me, anything I have done. Remember him and what he has done. Always find ourselves pointing to Jesus. Let us be so thankful for this great gift of life that he has given us that the natural outpouring of this thankfulness will look like this. Loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. How do we do How do we actually do this? We do this by spending time in his word, praying, falling in love with him over and over again, again and again, so that our motivation is not driven by guilt, but by our love for God, a desire to be with him. Then we will be able to love on others enough to share this hope that we have, not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that the Lord Jesus has done, so that no one can boast. So then, when he does come for us, not only will we join him in his Father's home, in in our Father's home, simply because we believe in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, but let's make sure that those rooms that he has gone to prepare are filled to the brim with others that we have brought along, because we are always pointing to him and what he has done. And this is not because we need to, it's not out of guilt, but out of joyful, irrepressible gratitude. Thank you. Alrighty, folks. Thank you so much, um, both Colin and Cezanne, for sharing a part of your life with us, but also for doing the hard work of putting it into words so that we can benefit from it. actually have heard quite a lot this morning, haven't we? And I think it'd be very easy for it to just... Uh, slip off into a virus-filled vapour. <laughs> if we don't actually spend a couple of minutes just to uh, reflect and think about what we've been hearing so that we can benefit from it. So uh, Colin reminded us uh, really of our job to encourage him and his job to encourage us to live for Jesus with all of our hearts, as well as to uh, shape our prayers so that they're not as full of us as they might have been but actually honour him and praise him and give thanks to him. Really appreciate you sharing that with us, Colin. And this is on has just um, reminded us of the faithfulness of God, even as his own son was uh, written to there. Reminded us of how Jesus doesn't write Peter off, um, but actually cares about his heart and restores him. And really when Peter starts trusting in Christ rather than himself, that's when his ministry takes off. And then, of course, reminding us of how um, kind of our job is to be that voice that points to Jesus. Uh, And like John the Baptist, it's less about us and it's more about him. So we're going to have a minute or maybe even more just to uh, think, ponder, reflect on some of these things so they're bedded down into our brains and they don't escape. I'll finish with a closing prayer and then we'll sing. So a minute or two of just quietness um, to reflect. Uh, Thank you for both Colin and Suzanne for sharing a part of their lives, part of what they've been learning, for putting that down in words for our benefit. Pray that you might bless them. You might bless their families as well. And you might bless their ministry among us this morning as during the coming week we're reminded of what they've shared with us so that we may indeed... Uh, live our lives in service of one another and of you. All of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, 
all of our strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.